If you have your Bibles, open to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look verse 16 through 18. I wanted you to see that short clip because it underscores for you and I a perspective that sometimes we lose. When what we're going to talk about today is something that most of us don't like to talk about. In fact, chances are you might not even heard a message on it. But that's one of the reasons we're going through Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount. We're going through the words of Jesus because... It forces us to go places that we wouldn't normally go. And so this morning, we're going to talk about fasting. And I know that's on top of your priority list in life. It's what you came to church for today. But it talks about understanding what Jesus is going to talk about is the devotion that we have to truly following him. And how fasting helps us to underscore that in our lives so that we can give God our full attention so he can speak to us. In fact, this is one of the things that's probably counter to our human nature, which is to go without something that we could access, to actually choose to be hungry or choose to, to be in want or desire for something and choose not to fulfill that. That's, that's counterintuitive to us because if you have a need and you can meet it or you have a want or desire and you can go after something that will satisfy that, you and I do that. What Jesus is telling us to do is the opposite, is to forego that so that you can give your full attention to him. And so this morning as we think about this, I want you to really... Just allow this, what Jesus is saying to you, to you and I today through these words are so powerful to a rhythm of life that he lived out and he established. And if he being the God of the universe and human flesh, fasting was a normal part of his life and his rhythm, then it should be for you and I as we choose to follow him. And so, so with this in mind this morning, I'm going to read these verses and we'll talk about some of the specific details of what Jesus says about fasting. So Jesus says in verse 16 of Matthew 6, he says, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces and show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So as we look at this this morning, what we've talked about the last couple of weeks, kind of a mini-series in the broader series, Disciple and Learning from Jesus, what it means to follow Him. We talked about prayer, and it's, we talked about the motivation. And then last week, the Disciples' Prayer, the Lord's Prayer, on, on the, the way that we communicate with God. And then today, this is the kind of the three, the three verses that we wish could be removed. It's like fasting, I like to talk to God, but I don't want to have to give up something in order to do that. But Jesus talks about this, and before we move forward, I want you to understand the significance of this. Jesus says the same phrase about prayer earlier in this chapter as he does about fasting. Because he says this, he says, when you fast. Now, if I were the translator of the Bible, I would have loved to put in, if you fast, which would have given me an option not to fast. Anybody understand? Because fasting is not something that we gravitate towards. But Jesus says, when you do this, he's assuming that you and I choose to actually go through seasons of our life where we give up something important like food or electronics or whatever it might be to you, shopping, or I don't know what it is. But you choose to give those things up in order for you to yourself to give yourself full, their full attention to what God is doing and saying in your life. And so because of that, this morning, we want to talk through what Jesus says. And he starts off what we're going to walk through. The first two things is kind of the, po- the negative side and then the, the way that it should be done. So how not to fast and how to fast, Jesus kind of lays out for us in this passage. And then we'll talk about the core of what all of us ask is, why? Why should I be fasting? Why should this be a normal part of my life? The first thing, look at verse 16, how you and I should not fast. Jesus tells us, first off, that we shouldn't fast hypocritically. He starts off and he says, when you fast, 
do not look somber as the hypocrites do. Now, if you've been here the last few weeks or the last probably since we've gone through the series, Jesus has used that phrase many times. And he uses the word hypocrite, which we know is a Greek actor who had the capacity by putting on a role or a mask to be able to act out something so convincingly that people thought that was true of them. They were great at what they did. And so Jesus, once again, goes back to that reality and says, listen, when you fast, don't perform. Don't put a performance on for everybody else around you to demonstrate how deeply and spiritually mature you are and how amazing you are that you can give up something and you can suffer for Jesus and you can create this big performance so that people think, wow, look how amazing that they are, that they can fast for that long or they can give up this for that long. And so he's saying is don't make this a performance, which is what Jesus has said throughout. We go through the Sermon on the Mount. How much of our life in following Jesus, if we're just honest, is really just a performance. We're just putting on a show for everybody else around us to think something of us that deep down inside we know is not true. And if we're not careful, many of us will get to the end of this life convinced that we followed Jesus, but really when we understand what we've really done is we've just performed Christianity and never really become one. And that's, that's scary, that we can become professional Christians, that we can do this thing so well, that we can f- convince people in the church, we can convince the world around us that we are the most devoted, most spiritually mature person, but deep down inside we know that we're bankrupt. We've just become really good actors. We've become good performers. You know, and it's tough because we're battling against our human nature. Our human nature guides us towards being good actors because we many times we don't want people to really know what's going on inside. And so we become excellent performers. In fact, you can see this. Anybody like soccer? Wow, like five of you? Some of you are going, what is soccer? I don't know about that. By the way, if you don't know what soccer is, then you don't live in this planet, on this world, because it is the most popular sport on the face of the planet. And the reason why is you just need a little, doesn't even have to be a ball, anything you can kick around, and a flat dirt field, and you're good to go. Travel anywhere in the world, you will see kids playing soccer. You don't see them playing basketball necessarily or even American football, but they play soccer. But anybody, if you watch soccer and you watch it closely, particularly in European soccer, and it's true somewhat of South American soccer too, but particularly in European soccer, soccer players have become excellent hypocrites. They become outstanding performers. If you've never watched a European soccer game, watch it. I guarantee you will see something happen at least once, maybe five times in a game. And if, if you're not, you think this doesn't happen, go on YouTube and type in faked injuries in soccer. Because they become masters because what happens is they have the ball, someone comes to steal the ball, and they barely brush them or maybe not even really touch them. And the player will fall to the ground, grabbing their ankle and screaming and writhing in pain as though they've like dislocated their entire body. And they're rolling around on the ground until the referee comes over and he blows the whistle and he calls a foul on the other player. And then they'll sit there a little longer. And then the, then the trainer comes out. This is what's so funny. The trainer comes out and they have this magic little can of spray. Anybody watch this? And they spray it wherever the guy's hurt. And suddenly he hops back up and he's, he doesn't even leave the game. And then when you see the replay, he never even was touched. Why do they do that? Because they're performing for the referee so they can earn the ball. They can earn a foul. They can earn an advantage. So they become so good at it, literally in, in real time, if you watch it, sometimes you cannot tell until you watch it in slow motion and go, oh my goodness, they weren't even touched. How many times do you and I get that proficient at performing our spiritual walk with Jesus? And fasting is one of those areas where it's easy to do that. 
It's very easy to shift into performance mode. Why? Because I'm suffering for Jesus and I want everybody to know. Because we want people to know how spiritual we are. Which leads to the second thing that Jesus says in verse 16. He says, not only don't fast hypocritically, he says, don't fast publicly. And he says, as he talks about the hypocrites, he says that they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. To show other people, to make a public statement of what they're doing. They are fasting publicly. They want everybody to know, so they go out in public, which he's talked many times about the hypocrites, on the street corners, walking down the streets, and they're grimacing, and they're groaning, and they're just making this big scene about, please ask me what I'm doing, because I want to tell you I'm fasting. I'm suffering for, to follow God. And that's what these hypocrites would do, and they would make a very public declaration of what they were doing. Why? Because ultimately, what do you and I desire Because many times we are hypocrites. What we desire is we want somebody to validate us. We want somebody to say we're good. We want somebody to pat us on the back and say we're doing a good job. So many times the things that we're doing in our walk with Jesus, we want to demonstrate so people say, oh, that's a great job. We gravitate that towards that all the time. And Jesus has made it clear throughout Matthew 6 that when we do do that, then the moment that we get that pat on the back, we have just received the fullness of the reward. That's it. Nothing beyond that. Because we want the validation. We like to people to know what we've done, the good deeds that we've done, so people think we're good people, not realizing that it doesn't matter what people think of us. All that matters is what Jesus sees inside of us. And sometimes you and I, if, we have, if we're not careful, we'll begin to live out T-shirt Christianity. Let me explain what I mean by that. We like to demonstrate how good we are by what we wear. So here's an example of it. Uh, for years and years in Newburgh, when we were living up in Oregon, so a very generous donor uh, gave money to the Special Olympics in the state of Oregon to host the Special Olympics in Newburgh for four years. And so what we would do each year is people would volunteer to help for the three or four day event. And so you do different venues or we helped put on a large meal for all of the athletes. And so everybody would come and when you would, when you would come and serve you'd get a t-shirt that would say Special Olympics, Newburgh, Oregon in the year, and so that, you know, you were a volunteer, you served. And it was interesting to watch because some people were like there all four days. I mean, every event, they're like volunteering their time. And then there's other people, when I was watching the time that we were there, they would show up for like 30 minutes. They do a few things that really didn't mean anything. And then when it came for t-shirt time, they were at the front of the line. They got the t-shirt, they wear it, they wear it around town, and they'd be so proud and say, look, I served at the Special Olympics for 30 minutes, but nobody really knows that because I'm wearing the t-shirt. And because why? They wanted people to say, wow, you're a really good person, that you would go serve at the Special Olympics. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I know there's a good portion of us in this room. You have a t-shirt somewhere in your closet that's tied to some good deed that you did. It's true for all of us. It might have been a missions team that say, hey, we all got cool mashing t-shirts. We're going to go save the world in our t-shirts, please. I'm not trying to offend anybody. But we have to be really careful. Because what happens is that we, we want to demonstrate on the outside, look at me, look at me. I was a part of this team, so I got a cool t-shirt. As opposed to, who does it really matter to? It matters to God. When we wear the t-shirt and somebody applauds us, that's the extent of the reward that we're going to get. And what we're forfeiting is the reward that will last forever. Now, hear me. I'm not against t-shirts. I can never wear that t-shirt again. You've ruined my wardrobe. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is if you and I wear those kinds of things because of our own pride and our need for people to validate our spirituality, then we're missing the point. We're doing exactly what Jesus said not to do, to not live out our faith publicly like fasting so that other people think that we're really special. 
Then leads to the third thing in verse 16 is we shouldn't fast selfishly. Jesus says, truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. They got what they wanted, which is it was all about them to start with. So they're fasting, not because they really want to connect with me. They're fasting because they want people to be impressed with them. So because of that, it's selfish on the front end and it's selfish on the back end. It's not about God at any point. And so they get the pat on their back, they get the reward, and then ultimately, that's it. That's it. And sometimes you and I don't realize that that's the mode that we get into, not just in fasting, because this applies across the board. Be very careful the way we live out our life and what we seek after in this life in terms of reward. Because Jesus is not kidding around when he says that basically you've got the reward that you wanted. That's it. It lasted for a fraction of a second. You brought a smile to somebody's face who said a good job and then they moved on. And guess what? They forgot about your good deed. Even though in your mind you're thinking, wow, everybody thinks I'm just amazing. Don't we do that? Am I the only one that just thinks that? It's just me and my issues, right? No, I know we all do it. You know what it's called? It's called Facebook, Right? So, hey, Facebook's a great thing. Facebook's a terrible thing at the same time. It is. But sometimes you and I, when we go to things like social media, what we are doing is we're demonstrating how significant a life that we live. How many know that's true? Oh, come on. Really? Some of you don't know what Facebook is. You need to go find a computer, which you go on the Internet, and then there's a thing called Facebook. I'm just kidding. I know that you know what it is. But just think about it for a moment. When you sit down and you look at Facebook statuses, what are you looking at is you're looking at the highlights of somebody's life. You are. You're looking at the high moments. And when you and I go on Facebook and we post certain things, what we're doing is we're posting the things that will make us look the most significant and important. We do it. When we go to certain events, we check in on Facebook, right? Because we want people to know that we were there and who we were there with. And so we make sure we, we, we tag everybody so they know who we were there with. And so we're really cool and... Anybody ever read through Facebook status and feel like your life stinks? Yeah. Because what you're seeing on the screen is not reality. It's not. I haven't seen anybody leaning over a toilet, puking their guts out, posting that on Facebook and saying, Hey, you like this? That doesn't get too many likes, does it? It's a low moment. I don't see too many people going on Facebook and confessing all of their sin and saying, Hey, do you like this? Don't see that. Why? Because what we're doing is that is about us. It's about how we look to other people. And you don't even need Facebook to do that. You can do that in your life. You and I choose to project to people a highly edited version of ourselves. We edit the things that we don't want people to see and we triumph the things we want them to see. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Is that in in your life, it is all about you. you. You heard it in the video. That this guy, I love the tension. He's like, I don't want it to be all about me. And I know if I'm honest, it is all about me. I'm so self-centered. And because of that, you and I have to take a step back and say, okay, what is the motivation behind what I'm doing? When I choose to fast, as Jesus says I'm supposed to, is it because somehow it really is about me and I want people to know how significant I am? Or is it about me setting my, my attention on God so that he can speak to me more clearly in my life? So Jesus gives us specific details on what it looks like For us, how we shouldn't fast. Then he says, this is how you should fast. Go on to verse 17. The first thing he says is that you and I should fast privately. He says that when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. What is Jesus saying? In that day and age, those were things that were characteristics of somebody taking care of their physical body. 
In other words, doing what they normally do every day in personal care so that as they fast, they're not demonstrating to people how much they're suffering, but they're really, in a sense, they're just doing what's normal because they're not trying to create some different reality for people to look at them. They're not drawing attention to themselves. They're doing this in a very private fashion. And so for us, on practical terms, so when you're fasting and you're giving up food or you're giving up electronics... Guys, shave if you shave. Ladies, please put makeup on if you put makeup on. Okay? That's basically what he's talking about. Do the basic normal things that you do every day, not to project project this. As he said, they would contort and and make their faces look like they were overwhelmed and make themselves look like they were sickly because they're suffering and they're fasting. He's saying, when you fast, do what you normally do. Take a shower. I mean, this sounds really basic. But do the normal things so that you don't walk around thinking, oh, yeah, you know, I know I look the part, don't I? I just I haven't eaten in days, and I know you can tell, and I'm, I'm looking a little bit thin. And no, he's saying don't do that. He's saying do this in a private way because ultimately it's not about drawing attention to you. It's about living out a rhythm that God sees what's done inside, and God could care less of what's going on the outside. He doesn't care about the performance. He cares about the reality So fasting is something that ultimately is private, which leads to the next thing. And that is in verse 18. He also says, don't only do it privately, but do it secretly. He gets more specific. He says, so that it is not obvious to others that you are fasting. This is a secret thing between you and God. Now, hear me on this. You're saying, hey, Pastor John, are you saying that when I'm fasting, I can never let anybody know? In fact, if I do, I'm sinning. In fact, if someone asks me, I have to tell them the opposite and actually lie not saying that. But what Jesus is saying is don't make it obvious to the people because what you're doing is a secret thing between you and the Lord and your devotion to Him. And that's so powerful because what happens when you and I do that is that God gets a hold of our hearts. God gets our attention. Why? Because we realize that it's between us and Him. Now, some of us, you know, we went through this fast about a month ago as we're walking through this process of turning the page on the past and we're moving forward and right size is a, process, a part of that. And as we walked through that, I could tell there were some people that I couldn't even tell if you were fasting or not. And it wasn't my job as the pastor to take the fasting attendance to see if you were doing that. But other people came to me repeatedly to make sure that I knew that they were fasting. That was really important to them to tell me that. But what was important is that ultimately this is between them and God. And what's amazing is what happens when you and I fast in secret. And this is how I found out who was really fasting. Not because I asked anybody. But I've had multiple conversations with people after the fast was over. I didn't even know if they were fasting or not. When they came to me and they said, you know what? And they were sharing about a major life decision that they went through. Or a major shift in the direction of where they were going in life. And they said, I said, well, when did that happen? They said, God spoke to me during the fast. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had like that over the last three or four weeks. And I had no idea they were fasting. But now I see the outcome in their life because secretly... God was speaking to them because they had given their full attention to him, and now their life is different. That's a result of this understanding of it being secret. And then the third thing, as we walk through this, the third thing that Jesus says, this is how to fast, and then we'll move on to the why, is he said that you and I should fast genuinely. He goes on in verse 18, but only to your father, he's the only one who should know, who is unseen, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Genuine fasting is not about the outward appearance. It's not about the performance. It's about what God is doing in you. And this is a hard thing to learn. 
Because one of the difficult things for you and I is if we're willing to give up something, there's this sense of misery that we feel. And trying to connect with God in that misery doesn't seem quite possible. I want to be fully comfortable. I want to be fully fed. And I want to have everything in it so God can speak to me when Jesus is saying, no, it's actually the opposite. I'm going to tell you, this is a hard lesson for me to learn. In, in, in the household that I grew up in, my parents fasted. In fact, they thought it was important for us as kids to learn the rhythm of fasting in your life. We weren't so keen on it. And from when I was really young, my parents, they made a commitment that we would fast as a family, ongoingly. And so what we did is every Wednesday night, we would not eat dinner. And we would have a family meeting and we would pray together. And then we would go to church. We would go to midweek. We had, we had a midweek with youth group and kids classes and stuff. And so, so we would fast and then we would go to church. Those were the most miserable nights of my life. I'm just being honest. Because I wanted to eat and I knew Wednesday was coming. It's like if you get, pa- get past Wednesday. Because I know I would go to youth group hungry and, and, and be grumbling and be frustrated. And, and I didn't understand why, why are we doing this, giving up food. In fact, I was a complainer growing up, big time. And I pestered my parents for years as we were in this rhythm of, listen, I'm hungry. And then I pull out, you know, I'm the growing boy card, you know, and said, you got to feed me because I need food. And, and I remember my parents, finally, they started to cave a little bit. Because when we got home from church after every Wednesday night, they would make hot chocolate and we could have cheese and crackers. That was kind of the way to kind of appease me. And I'm, ne- I'm telling you, I've never eaten so many cheese and crackers in my entire life. You could make a meal out of cheese and crackers. I'd blow through boxes of Triscuits and Wheat Thins and whatever else we had in the cupboard. Hey, but I'm, I'm having cheese and crackers, so I'm fasting. There was nothing genuine about my fast. It was all about what I wanted to do. There was nothing real between myself and the Lord. In fact... It became so much of a rhythm and almost a legalistic rhythm that when I moved out and I went away to college, the first Wednesday night that came, I ate a meal. I thought I was going to be struck dead on the spot. I felt so guilty, like I'm not supposed to be eating him. I'm supposed to fast. And at that moment, I realized, no, God had not called me to fast in that form. Although it was important growing up to learn the discipline of that. And I fast in different ways, but not that way. And I try to keep some kind of a consistent rhythm here and there in my life. But but it was that legalism that led to fasting being something that was horrible. But what Jesus is saying is that fasting should be this genuine thing that ultimately you and I will experience the reward that God has for us in the process. When it's real, when it's genuine, when we're giving our focus to God, which leads really to the last thing what I want to talk about is why we fast. Three things. There's a lot of reasons to fast, but these are three that I want to highlight that help us to underscore the importance of what fasting does in our life. The first one is this. It's focus. The reason you and I fast, we give up something to give our attention fully to God, is because it gives us more focus. See, when we're willing to give up what we normally have in order to give our attention fully to God then what happens is God has our attention. See, this is the amazing thing when you fast, when you're giving up something, you are reminded why you're doing what you're doing every time you go to that thing. So when your stomach growls, you're reminded, I'm fasting. And why am I fasting? I am fasting to spend time with God, which is really important because sometimes, you know what we end up, end up doing? We fast and we replace the time that we could spend with God doing other things. But fasting is giving up this to connect with God. And it's giving this focus. And it's because of the focus that we can give to God that he can speak to us more clearly above all of the distractions that we have in our life. Because you and I, whether we know it or not, live a highly distracted life. 
We have so much going on. We are crushed in on every side with media and people and advertisements and schedule and all these things. And most of us don't even have time to reflect and think that God may be speaking to us. But when we fast, it gives us that opportunity to focus. It's the very thing that Jesus did. And fasting in Jesus' life translated into, remember, he was fully God, but he was fully man. He was fully human. Translated to some powerful things that occurred in his life. So let me read from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. After Jesus fasted, so he fasted for focusing on the Father. And what did it lead to in his life? It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Every time I read that, it is, to me, the biggest understatement in all of Scripture. If you fast 40 days and 40 nights, I think you're hungry, slightly. So what happens is he comes in and the enemy encounters him, says the tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. There is no greater temptation than that. And if we could read on, and he comes in, the enemy comes in different ways to try to tempt Jesus, and each time Jesus resists the temptation. But can you imagine... If you haven't eaten for 40 days and you know you have the ability to make stone into bread, that's a huge temptation. But in Jesus' humanity, he was no longer filled with himself. He was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to resist the temptation. Why? Because he had just fasted 40 days and 40 nights and focused on the Father. That's why. His focus, his attention was on what God was doing. And sometimes what you and I need in our life, need, we may not want it, but what we need is we need to fast because what fasting does is it's a huge reset button in our life. It, it, it resets kind of the table of what our life's supposed to be like because we step back from what we're normally doing, what's familiar to us, and we do something different. It gets our attention. It's something that we tend to, to shy away from because we want to keep it going the way we are because sometimes maybe we really don't want to hear what God says. I have utmost respect for Tim Clark, who's now the pastor of Church on the Way. Tim Clark pastored the church in Newburgh before we went up to Oregon. And Tim and I have been friends for years. And when we were on vacation one summer up in Oregon, we went and visited Tim and, Tim and Deborah in Newburgh, and I went to one of their services. And it blew me away when we walked into the sanctuary. Because when we walked into the sanctuary, the stage was completely empty, except for a music stand and one guitar. And so I'm like, okay. And so Tim started the service, he picked up his guitar, and he hit one note, and then he put his guitar down, and then he led worship, a cappella, by himself. That takes guts. And so as we went through the service, and afterwards I said, Tim, tell me what's going on. He said, listen, at the beginning of the summer, he said, the church has been going great. Rapid growth, I mean, attendance is up, giving is up, the church is doing great, people are are being impacted by what God's doing, but the Lord told me, that we needed to hit the pause button on worship, on the way that we were doing worship. And so I said, I had to be obedient. So he canceled the worship team. What pastor does that? Someone who's listening to the voice of the Lord. So they fasted their normal rhythm of worship, which was the full band, the full experience, musicians and singers and the whole thing, because they wanted to get back to what worship was really about. It didn't have to be about the music. And what surprised me, but shouldn't have surprised me, is people left the church. People left the church because they were so in love with worshiping worship, they had forgotten they were not worshiping Jesus. That reset button was one of the healthiest things that church did. Because when we came, actually, it was like a year later or so, maybe not even that much, we came, you could see the health in worship because they had hit the reset button. 
And that's what fasting does when we give up something in our lives. It gives us our focus back on God so he can get our attention so that we can get to a place of being healthy again before him in our relationship with him. Then the second thing that Jesus helps us to understand why fasting is so important is time. It gives us focus. It gives us time. In the normal rhythm of our life, when we give up something over here, we can replace it with something more important over here. If I give up food or I give up electronics or I give up television or I give up whatever it is that takes my time over here, I can replace it with what's most important, spending time with Jesus. Time is one of the most valuable things we have. For some of us, it's more important than our money. But time is something that you and I, have you said this? All of us have said it. I don't have enough time. Now, for some of us, it's legitimate. Some of us, it's just an excuse to not do what we don't want to do. But we don't have enough time. So if we don't have enough time... There's always something in our day that always takes time that all of us do and all of us have to do. It's called eating and drinking. In fact, somebody who has a lot of time on their hands did a survey to find out how much time we spend eating and drinking in our lifetime. I don't know who had time to do that, but I'm glad that they did. This is what they came up with. They said the average person spends about 67 minutes a day eating and drinking. That's in our culture because we are fast. We eat fast food. We eat faster than other people because we're about, what, cramming it all in. If you kind of map that out, that's 32,000 hours in a lifetime of eating and drinking. Think about this. That's more than 1,300 days of eating and drinking in the average lifetime, which translates to more than three and a half years of our life we spend eating and drinking. You and I have time. What if we carved some of that out? What if we chose not to eat and we took that 15, 20, 30 minutes and said, I'm going to be alone with Jesus. I'm going to take time to listen in. Now, if we talk, let's just talk about social media for a moment. That's more than 67 minutes a day for most people. What if you carved out social media for a day? Well, you might have five hours with God. You'd really hear from him that day, wouldn't you? (laughs) We have time. It's just a matter what our priority is. Time is something that it gives us when we fast. We're giving up something and we're replacing it with something far more important. Then the final thing, and in fact, just a moment, the worship team will join us again and uh, we'll continue to worship through song. But the last reason that we fast is because of hunger. This is what I want to spend some time talking about. This is the most difficult one. And this is the reason that we don't like to fast. I don't want to give up something that I think that I need or I want. I don't want to give it up. In fact, it's counter to our human nature. To give up something that I can have in front of me, to not eat, to not do something I enjoy doing, to not engage in something that I think is going to bring me some satisfaction for the purpose of God speaking to me. That's the last thing that you and I want to do. Because for you and I, hunger is bad. See, hunger is something that you and I, we don't want to engage in. We don't want it because everything in our culture says, if you have a need, fill it. Don't be in need. Don't be in want. Don't be in hunger. Fill it. Satisfy yourself. That's called consumerism. And that's what we live off of in our country. That's why we go in debt. That's why we have to buy more. That's why when we buy a car at a certain level, we have to have the next car up. Or when we buy a house, we have to work our way up. When we get a job, we have to work. Why? Because you have to have more to satisfy yourself. And Jesus comes along and says, whoa, 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 whoa. That's the, it's the opposite. It's the opposite of what you and I think is true. Because what Jesus says is hunger actually can be a good thing. Now, remember way back when, when we were in Matthew chapter 5, like a long time ago, 
Anybody recall what Jesus said in verse 6? He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For why? why? They will be filled. They will be satisfied. Those are Jesus' words. He's saying it's a good thing to be hungry. We think it's a bad thing to be hungry. See, the challenge is you and I never really get to the, the core of who we are because we always fill ourselves with stuff to try to make sure the pain goes away. The discomfort goes away. And what becomes God is not Jesus, but comfort. It drives us. I don't want to be uncomfortable in my life. I, I want to make sure that I have everything taken care of. But then you and I have to be confronted with Jesus' words. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 24 and 25. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, that's what we, are, we want to be called, disciples. He said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life, which means satisfy yourself, get what you can, make sure that you're fulfilled and you're always never hungry and always full. He says, if you want that, you will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. It's the opposite. That maybe for some of us, we've never really tapped into what it means to follow Jesus and experience the fulfillment that he brings because we're too busy filling our lives full of other stuff. We haven't been willing to forego to really understand something about who we are and who Jesus is. That's why fasting's a good rhythm. Forcing yourself to deny yourself what you could access. See, when you and I do it, it changes our perspective on life. It changes our perspective of who God is. God speaks to us. And we have to, we have to work overtime to fight the consumeristic mentality that we have, which is get more and more and more and more and more. Let me just close with this, because this, one of the learning experiences my family walked through is a number of years ago, what we did in our church to answer to kind of this consumeristic mentality that we had. So whether you know it or not, sitting in this sanctuary today, you are rich. And I'm not talking spiritually, because you're that too, but you are rich, rich economically. You say, well, no, if you looked at my checking account and my debt, you don't say that. What you and I have to realize is that we live like 5% of the rest of the world. Americans live in an economic level that is representative of 5% of the world population. That means that we are part of the 5% of the elite rich in the world. And we always think, oh, Bill Gates, he's the rich guy. Yeah, go, go bag on Bill Gates and all his billions of dollars. We're rich by virtue of where we've been born. Even, even the poorest person in the United States is considered rich the rest of the world. When we were confronted with that a few years ago in, in our church, we said we need to get back to being about the world and caring for the world. So we need to find ways to experience what the world experiences. So over one summer period, we came up with things called Days Without. And what we did is we chose certain days on the calendar to, to, to go without things so that as Americans, we chose to live like the rest of the world lives. So... One of the days was the day without food. Literally, there are people in our world today that don't have access to food at all. And so we went for a day, 24-hour period, no food. Our kids did it. Everybody in the church did it. A lot of people grumbled about it, but they still did it. And they felt what? Hunger. They felt like what most of the people feel every single day of their life. Then that was one thing, but it got worse. Then we went to the day without water. Because there's a good portion of the world's population that does not have access to clean drinking water, which you and I take for granted. We get upset at the taste coming out of this, the tap, 
People don't even have a tap. They don't even have a faucet. So we did a day without water. And the way we set that up is like most of the world lives. If they have access to water, it's not coming into their house. It's at a watering hole or it's at a pump somewhere or it's at a well. And they have to go and get it. So for that day in our city, we had five or six people in the church volunteer their houses as watering holes. And they were positioned throughout the city. And so if you wanted water that day, guess what you had to do? You could not drive because people didn't have cars. You had to walk to a watering hole and get all the different things like we had. We were saving like milk gallon jugs and we were collecting so we could collect water. And you had to fill it up from someone's hose and then you had to walk home with it. Water is really heavy. And then when you got home, that's what you had to use for the day. Cooking, drinking, showering. Oh man, it's really hard to shower with a gallon of water. You can't. And so you're thinking about these things. And so we did that for a day. In fact, we were using our indoor plumbing, but we realized that, that it was around a gallon or so in, in, we had in our, our tanks that when we would flush. So if somebody forgot and they flushed the toilet, we had to take one of those gallons and we had to pour it out. And if we got to the end of the day and there was no water left, guess what you're doing? doesn't matter how late it is. If you're thirsty, you're going to go walk to the watering hole and you're going to fill up your jug and you're going to bring it back home again. Changed Every time I turn on the faucet, it changed my perspective. People have to walk for this. And then the real hard one was the day without money. Going without money. The average person in the world lives off of $2 a day. That's a good portion of the world. $2 a day. The average American is between $150 to $200 a day. That's what we live off of. It's a huge discrepancy. So we all had to live off of $2 a day. In our family, there's four family members. That's $8 we had to live off for one day. That includes everything. Electricity. Couldn't use any electricity. Couldn't turn the TV on. Couldn't turn any lights on. Nothing. No air conditioning. No nothing. It was in the middle of the summer. And that meant that we had $8 that we had to buy food to live off of for that day. Couldn't drive our car because you sneeze and you're blowing through $2 in gas. So we had to walk three and a half miles to the market, Courtney and Jordan, Kim and I. And we went into the store. And it's amazing when you have eight bucks, how much you scrutinize how much things cost. We ate a whole lot of rice and beans that day. That's what we had pretty much. And we went through and we bought what we thought we needed for that day. And we got to the register and we realized seven bucks. We did it for seven bucks. That was crazy. We're like, okay, we're going to have to survive off that. And then as we got to the counter, there was two for one candy bars, a dollar for two. And we're like, all right, kids, it's your lucky day. We got it under budget. So, and so Courtney and Jordan on the way home, they're like chowing down on these candy bars because they're like, oh, at least the bright side of the day for us, you know, we're rice and beans the rest of the day, but at least for five minutes, I get a candy bar. It changed our perspective. It made me appreciate what it is to live without, like so many people. And let me close with this, and what it translates to, and please forgive me, I'm not trying to offend anybody, but I haven't traveled extensively, but I've traveled enough in this world that sometimes in the church, what people have in different countries is so much better than what we have here. Because they have nothing, they have everything. And because we have everything, sometimes we have nothing. Their deep passion and desire to follow Jesus is so beyond ours because they really are at a place. If he doesn't come through, they don't eat today. If he doesn't come through, they don't have a roof over their head. If he doesn't come through, they don't have a house. They don't have anything. They don't have anything to sustain their life except trusting Jesus. Now, none of us think, oh, that would be great. No, it's not. It's difficult because we have to live by faith.
We have to be willing to go without. And it's only when we go without that we realize how much we need Jesus in our life. So we're going to conclude this service. And let me, let me explain what, what we're going to do here in the next few moments. So the worship team, in fact, worship team, you can come join me right now. They're going to be coming up. And we're going to, we're going to do two more songs. And let me explain the two songs have to do with what we just talked about. Our devotion, our hunger for Jesus in our life. But over about the last six months or so, we have made an adjustment in the way that we do worship through song in our services. You've probably noticed that. Sometimes we'll have Sundays where we'll have four or five songs, and then we'll have offering and announcements and all those things, and then I'll speak, and then when I'm done, we're done. Other Sundays we'll do just a few songs, and then we'll go into our normal rhythm, I'll speak, and then we'll come back with a couple songs. And we did that on purpose, because sometimes we come to church and we fall in love with the format, and we get locked into that. And we did that not only so that we wouldn't be locked into a format, but we've also done it for this reason. When we have worship that comes after a message, it's not filler. It's not the segue for you to head to your car or to go pick up your kids. It's an opportunity for you and I to respond to what God is saying to us. It's an opportunity to re-engage in worship. And the reason I say that is that I've, and I, hear me, I don't take attendance on when you leave, but I've watched people walk away from the most powerful times of worship after a message because you've got your, your next thing on your agenda. I'm not going to stand at the door and I'm not going to look over your shoulder. I'm not going to judge anyone who leaves, okay? But what I want you to understand is worship is not just the filler before and after the message. Worship is the opportunity to encounter Jesus. When we give him, we're talking about fasting, giving him our full attention, everything we do. That's what worship is. It's giving him our full attention to focus on him. We get to do that. And we only do it for about 90 minutes a week on a Sunday morning. So what I encourage you to do is let God continue to speak to you as you give him your attention, as we worship, as we pour our heart out before him. Because worship isn't defined by songs and worship isn't defined by a time frame. It's defined by our devotion and our commitment to give our lives to Jesus at every moment of our life. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you again for speaking words that if, Lord, if we were left to our own devices, we would probably eliminate talking about this thing called fasting. But Lord Jesus, it was a rhythm for you because you were doing that to connect with the Father and be filled with the Spirit to be able to to live the perfect life that you live. How much more, Lord Jesus, do we need that in our lives? Giving up something, experiencing hunger or lack in order to realize that you are the one that satisfies us. You are the one that answers to our needs. So, Lord, this morning, today, I ask that as we continue to worship and we conclude our service today, that, Lord, we don't conclude what you're saying and what you're doing, but we step forward into what you're calling us to, to give you more of our attention, to listen more clearly, to be more obedient to you as you lead us forward into becoming your disciples. We thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.